You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, a special look back at our first season. From politics to pop culture, every week I talk with some of today's most intriguing people. We had a great lineup of guests, and we'll share some of those moments with you on the first of two best of episodes. Politics was big last season. From impeachment to the election to an insurrection, the world of politics was front and center After Joe Biden's defeat over Donald Trump, America watched to see which party would control the Senate. A runoff election in Georgia would tip the scales. Both Senate seats were up for grabs. We talked with Democratic candidate Raphael Warnock as the runoff neared. Before we get into the particulars, I want to ask you why. I mean, you uh, were already doing God's work. You were already working for the community, and politics can be a bear, to say the least. Why jump into this? Great question. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm still doing God's work. Um, this is a defining moral moment in our country. It's hard to overstate how much really is on the line. 
And there are big public policy debates and conversations around health care, around voting rights, around this COVID-19 pandemic, around um, workers. But behind all of the public policy debates is, I think, a more fundamental question about the character of the country, about the soul of the nation. You know, I'm the pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church where Martin Luther King Jr. served. And when we think about the King, we think about the civil rights law. We think about the voting rights law, all of that, the fight against segregation. But the mantra, the motto for his organization, organization, the SCLC, was literally to redeem the soul of America. Warnock and fellow Democrat John Ossoff would go on to victory. Their wins split the Senate right down the middle between Democrats and Republicans, giving Democrats the edge with Vice President Kamala Harris the deciding vote for any stalemates. What those victories could not do was heal a nation. January 6th became another infamous date in American history as an armed insurrection took place at the nation's capital. Professor and noted author Michael Eric Dyson and I discussed how even a governmental insurrection is tainted by a racially stereotypical lens. Mike, let me start by asking you what we saw this week. I mean, you know, people can try to tamp it down, but what we saw truly was an insurrection. There's no question about that. Um, you know, they try to use euphemisms. Um, they don't describe those largely white protesters insurrectionists, thugs yesterday, uh, as they describe black people who are righteously protesting against racial injustice, against systemic oppression, against the loss of black life at the hands of the state by a governmental representative called a policeman or a policewoman. And we're called thugs and dismiss. And that's everybody from the previous president to the present president. And yet these figures uh, are seen as noble citizens who have a righteous cause, who just maybe stepped over the line a little bit. Uh, but you're absolutely right. This is, it was at once thought of as a bloodless coup, but it was not bloodless. Uh, a woman died, three others that four people died in that process. And it is extraordinarily discomforting that black people in a righteous cause are demonized and seen as um, a challenge to American democracy, while those folk, <clears throat> for the most part, are seen as extensions of it. It was an insurrection. It was an attempt to take the Capitol. They're walking around as if they were on tour. The policemen are taking selfies with them. Uh, it is an astonishing rebuke to all those who would proclaim, oh, you Black people just get all excited. You're all exaggerating. Uh, you know, the police treat everybody the same. So yesterday we saw that is simply not true. So, yeah, it was an insurrection. It was an attempt uh, to undercut the government. And here's the kicker, as you well know, led by, inspired by, instigated by the man who is ostensibly the head of the government, who is literally at the top of the political food chain, fomenting dissent and encouraging revolution within his own government is extraordinarily disconcerting. I spoke with South Carolina Congressman Jim Clyburn. The Democrat is House Majority Whip. 
and seen by many as the person who kept Joe Biden's candidacy alive by delivering his state when another loss would have clearly caused Biden to drop out. Clyburn was at the Capitol the day of the insurrection, and we talked about his thoughts of whether insiders helped with the execution of chaos. Do you believe, and you talked about this very early on uh, that day, in fact, that this was a a coordinated attack and that it had to to have some some inside uh, information and guidance? Absolutely, I believe that. Uh, I talked to my, uh, about my own circumstances. As you know, uh, my office, uh, the only place you would see my name on the door and my uh, position above the door uh, is in the office of Statutory Hall. And anybody walking in Statutory Hall can see that. But for some strange reason, when those people came in here, they didn't bother that door. There was at least one person in that office the whole time, and they were never disturbed. But they all went up to my uh, other office, which is on another floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you got to know where you're going to get to that office. And for them to go to that door and rattle in that door and having my staff pump it down in my inner office uh, with furniture at the door tells me they had some knowledge that they got from somewhere uh, as to where uh, the democratic leadership was. Uh, so uh, they, uh, there's something going on here that a thorough investigation has to be made. As January 6th proved, politics has become a hate sport, even for those who cover it. My colleague April Ryan discussed the vitriol she's received as a White House correspondent. They take you there and and, and, and threaten you, talk behind your back, telling people don't call on her, lie on you try to discredit you, take your jobs from trying to lie to get your jobs taken away from you, and you've got children and a life. I'm like, no. So you basically have to report and then report with the pen in your right hand and use a boxing glove to fight them back with the other. And people don't realize the magnitude of what they have done and what they did. They called the press the enemy, had people put people, just like they did on Capitol Hill, put people on us. You know, it has been an awful four years that I'm, thank God I've got a great therapist, you know, and a good hairdresser. But, you know, I mean, because you lose your hair and you lose your mind while you're trying to do your job because they're lying. They're sending people to your home or, or, or death threats or bomb scares and all sorts of crazy things because you're asking questions about an underserved community. Give me a sense of what these four years have been for you personally. They were hell. They were hell. Um, they were hell. You know, you have to move your home because people sitting out in front of your house. You, Caesar Sayoc knows who you are and sends things to you. FBI comes to your home. Um, you know, have bomb squad come to your house. You have bodyguards going with you. You always, you know, have your head on a swivel not knowing if today somebody's going to do I mean, letters, emails, all sorts of crazy things. Um, all because of this president. All because I just asked questions. I've asked questions of presidents on the same issues. And it's a friendly adversarial relationship. But this got to be a deadly relationship. And um, I refused to bow to a bully. 
bullies, a bunch of them, who followed the lead of the biggest bully. Ultimately, that bully was defeated and Joe Biden became the leader of a very divided nation. His victory was in large part because African-American voters went to the polls in large numbers. Many suggested it was more a vote against Trump than a vote for Biden. No matter, Biden was ushered into the Oval Office. Before he took the office, the president-elect met with civil rights leaders about what they expected. I talked with NAACP President Derek Johnson about that gathering. Let's talk about what you did last week, and that was have a meeting with President-elect Joe Biden. Uh, You requested the meeting, you and some other civil rights leaders. Did you see this as political payback? We see it as an opportunity for the seven civil rights organizations to establish a relationship with the new administration. It is our goal to uh, inform uh, this administration uh, around the needs and concerns of our constituency bases, as well as hear from them uh, what their priorities will be for the next four years. The headline was that you're asking for a civil rights czar, and we're told that you want it to be a cabinet position. You want some heft behind it. Talk to me about how you came up with that and, and whether you believe that's going to happen. Well, you know, you, 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 what you measure is what you achieve, and, and you can only achieve it if, you, if someone is responsible and accountable for the outcome. And if you look at corporate America, many of them who have taken on diversity as a focus of, of, of their business model, they have a diversity and inclusion officer that report directly to the president And from there, they execute organization-wide measures to ensure that their customer base, who in many cases now are very diverse, are are related to. That shouldn't be any difference with an administration like this. We're not in the people business. We are in the policy outcome process. We're civil rights organizations. And if you only look at one appointment for this cabinet and another one over there, You missed the boat that African-Americans, we are impacted and we impact every uh, function of government. Therefore, there needs to be a racial equity lens placed in decisions from the top down. One of the things that, uh, to use your analogy, people have concerns about with DNI and corporate America is that it hasn't always worked. It hasn't always had that uh, sense of having a direct report, the same kind of dollars and green light. And often it's the CEO who dictates that. How comfortable are you that you will see from this administration, from Joe Biden, the, as I use the word again, heft that's needed for this kind of position? Well, you know, and in corporate America, it has not always worked. And oftentimes you see it really don't work when they bury the position under somebody that's not in a C-suite. This has to be a C-suite level uh, proposition. And there has to be a true commitment. If a, a corporation say diversity is truly uh, a part of our business model, then it can work because you, you're not creating a parallel universe. What you're doing is embedding a racial lens around decisions. For this administration, if in fact, and he stated that racial equity is a priority, a pillar of this administration, well, how are you going to achieve that? You can only achieve that if you designate somebody who will report directly to the president who's charged with the responsibility to make it happen. That position has yet to be created, and Biden's time in office has gone from hopeful to tumultuous. 
When we come back, a look at two of the issues this president and the nation must deal with, injustice and COVID. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Two headline-grabbing issues during our first season were police injustice and the devastating impact of COVID-19. From the trial of former police officer Derek Chauvin to the questions surrounding the COVID vaccine, we talked with those on the front line. I spoke with George Floyd's brother, Felonis, the day the guilty verdict came down against former police officer Derek Chauvin, who had been charged with the killing of George Floyd. Falonis, let me start with you. The last time I spoke with you in November, you candidly told me that some nights were very hard for you. 
very hard to sleep, very hard to believe what had gone on. You know, you become this face, but there's the human side of what this does to you. Talk to me about what the verdict has done for you personally and your family. It, it made us feel that our lives matter. Um, my brother, he lost his life, but he had to have, uh, these police officers had to be held accountable because the land that we live on, they say this is the land of the free, a country where people fight to get to because they say we have freedom. But George, the justice that, I'm not going to say justice, but the accountability Mm -hmm. that he received yesterday showed the world that you have people who are willing to stand up because the blue wall was collapsed. It collapsed. They all spoke against their own people. Mm-hmm. You had hitters, you had chiefs, you had anybody that knew and seen that video that was wrong. Let me ask you this as well. At some point for you and your family, the press is going to die down. The spotlights are going to go away and you're going to try to get back to what will now be a normal existence for you. In a strange way, um, that will be difficult in its own way, because for the last year, you've had to live out this, uh, you know, living for justice for your brother, fighting for your brother. Have you thought about how your life is going to change and what does that mean for you? Uh, It means a lot because I get to change and help other people. Uh, I'm getting to counsel people like the the Wright family, because Dante Wright, he was killed 10 miles away from where we were in there trying to get justice for George. Um, I started the Falonis and Keita Floyd Institution for Social Change. I'm turning my pain into purpose. And I'm all here to be able to help others get through these situations because it's, it feels like it's a never-ending cycle. Thinking about Pamela Turner. You think about Eric Garner. You think about Breonna Taylor. It's so many different people across the world who never had justice. A few days later, I spoke with attorney Ben Crump about accountability from a system that even after the guilty verdict seemed to fall right back into the systematic pattern that has not dispensed equal justice for people of color. Yeah, and it was troubling, Ed Gordon, because you and I and uh, Felonis talked the day of the verdict, which was a historic verdict, uh, where Derek Chauvin was convicted guilty, guilty, guilty on every count, second degree, third degree, and manslaughter for killing, torching his brother, George Floyd, to death on May 25th, 2020. But then, even during the trial, 10 miles away, there was another unarmed black man, uh, Dante Wright, who was killed by a white police woman who allegedly was trying to pull her taser, pull the gun, and shot and kill Dante. And then after that, you saw Micaiah Bryant in Columbus, Ohio. And then literally, hours after that, uh, the verdict came. Micaiah was killed two hours after the verdict. And then about 13 hours after the verdict, you had Andrew Brown in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, be killed by police sheriff's deputies running with assault rifles while his car was going away shooting at him that was akin to a lynch mob. And they shot him 
uh, with a bullet to the back of his head, killing him. And we still have not seen the video because it has not been released to the public. And that is troubling because with all this momentum, we think we're turning the corner, but yet we see that this uh, intellectual justification of discrimination is still real, Ed. That's why we got to pass this legislation. We got to keep mobilizing, strategizing, and organizing. There was a lot of hope placed on the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. We heard from Democratic Congresswoman Karen Bass, who introduced the bill in the House. There were questions about Republicans coming on board, and there were those in her own party that would make the legislative journey harder because they believed there was no room for certain compromises. Representative Bass, uh, perhaps the sticking point compromise is the mother's milk in Washington. There are those who uh, are suggesting that qualified immunity can't be put on the table, particularly the progressives in your party. Where do you sit on that? And, and do you think that that is in danger of being a sticking point? Well, I mean, it's one of the key issues that we're talking about, but the bill is pretty comprehensive. There's a a lot in the bill, you know, qualified immunity and reducing the standard to prosecute an officer are two measures of accountability. But we're also talking about raising the standards. I mean, it's pretty shocking to think that we have 18,000 police departments in the country and none of them have any uniform standards or accreditation. And so you go to the barber, your barber has more that uh, he or she has to go through to to practice their profession than the person who has the power to take away your freedom and your life. And if you just think about the medical profession, if you had a doctor that made mistakes all the time and people died, what would you want to do with that person? You wouldn't want that person to ever practice medicine again. And how you can be a police officer for 26 years and make a mistake between a taser and a gun that killed Dante Wright, you know, it's examples like that that we address in the bill in in the terms of having a registry for officers that have done deadly things. Like if you think of Tamir Rice, Tamir Rice was killed by an officer who had been fired by a nearby department for being unstable and having a propensity to violence. We want to make sure that officers like that are in a registry and communities know about them. If you think about Derek Chauvin, Derek Chauvin, had 15, 16 complaints. He should have never been a police officer. Or you think about the three officers that were with him. In our bill, we say that those officers have a duty to intervene if you see your partner brutalizing someone. In spite of the optimism coming out of the Chauvin trial and hope from Democrats that Republicans would pass it with the political cover of the guilty Chauvin verdict, the bill would stall in the Senate. Throughout the season, we also spoke with those who, while at times disappointed and tired, remain in the fight. One of those names that emerged out of the Black Lives Matter movement is attorney Lee Merritt. I asked Merritt about the criticism that has come along with the fight. In some cases, um, and in some corners, there are quiet uh, criticisms in some ways or concerns about Black leadership because it seems, for some, that you're just showing up at press conferences and funerals, in your mind, uh, fair criticism, or is it just far more daunting than the average person knows? I I think it's a fair criticism when you show up to funerals and press conferences 
uh, and, and maybe resolve a case for some sort of fiduciary amount uh, because that's the only damages available in the civil courts. However, I, you know, pointing to Ahmaud Arbery, I think that's a good, a good example. It seems like you said almost a case of low-hanging fruit. These vigilantes broke the law in broad daylight and recorded it, and uh, they should rightfully end up in jail. And you know, God willing, when a when a trial date is set, they'll be convicted. However, it is in fact deeper than that. Uh, the murder of Ahmad Arbery is reflective of a deeper systemic issue uh, because we didn't hear about it until 74 days later. And the reason we didn't hear about it is because the legal apparatus of South Georgia went about doing what it was designed to do, which was to protect white supremacy. Uh, in this case, you did have a police officer, a former police officer, who immediately invoked, invoked his white privilege. He called the district attorney who, who he used to work for, who, because of, of, for obvious reasons, had to conflict herself out of the case, but passed the case on to another one of his personal friends, someone he knew uh, from that community. And he, he wrote a scathing uh, summary of what happened that made Ahmad appear to be the culprit as opposed to the victim and the culprits to be the victims themselves. Uh, this is what happens in our system. Um, and, 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 and I have to you know, take hats off to the, the organizing community, to the Sean Kings, to the Tamika uh, Ballers, to Ben Crump and our office. So we didn't stop at the three villains. Initially, they only wanted to give us two. They wanted to give us Gregory McMichael and Travis McMichael. And, and um, the black community began to respond. Why was this recorded in broad daylight? Who was this man recording it? And so they had to go back and arrest and criminalize William um, Roddy Bryan as well. And we didn't stop there in, in the filing of the most recent lawsuit. We brought a lawsuit against the Glen County um, Police Department. We brought a lawsuit against Greg, uh, George Barnhill uh, and the initial uh, dis district attorney, Jackie Johnson, who referred the case over to him to show, to point out specifically uh, the, system, the systemic problems, how, how white supremacy is a team sport and how they work together uh, to murder Ahmad and to justify it in the media and, and to kill the story so that, that the rest of us didn't hear about it for 74 days. And that's the work that you do beyond uh, the funeral. That's the work that you do beyond the press conference. You have to dig in and find out, you know, these aren't isolated incidents. They continue to happen because a system exists that allow them to happen until we start to try to root out the, the deeper systemic problems that will continue to happen. That work would pay off. Most recently, the former DA, Jackie Johnson, was indicted for violating her oath of office and hindering a law enforcement officer. Activist Tamika Mallory also took on the criticism leveled against some of today's leaders, who some believe have allowed their egos to get in the way of progress. I would say that it's important to ensure that there are more women um, at the forefront of our movements, because um, while we still have ego, we all have it, as you said, um, I think women have found a way to sort of work around it. And, you know, we, we know how to dance to music in a different way. Um, we try to pull more people in. We're often the caretakers, the one to brush others on the back. And, and, and to be quite honest, um, you know, I've worked with men for a long time and um, it's very different. I, the energy is different. You and I have talked about it mm -hmm. over and over again. Um, this idea that when women are leading, there is much more care for people included in the space. Um, dealing with the criticism, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes that's all you can do is just say, ouch. Mm -hmm. But there are other times when we have to push back because you mentioned something that's important. 
oftentimes we're being criticized by people who do nothing. People who I see, or very, very little. People who I never see when I'm out living in Louisville, Kentucky, um, you know, out there in the communities, working with people and experiencing the trauma of, um, you know, of, of, of danger, because that's what we've been under. Um, the surveillance, the people outside of our homes, they would not be um, looking at us as a threat if we were not organizing and doing something. And those people who sit in their homes who are not experiencing any of those things have the most to say about what we need to be doing. And you know what I tell them, Ed? Outwork me. Do it better than I'm doing. Organize more. Show me where to show up to your thing. And usually when I say that, they kind of fall to the wayside. Mm -hmm. I think where we are now, we're in a space, um, and I have to tell myself this is me preaching to me, is that we just have to keep pushing forward. Because I do think that while we are in a dangerous moment and we are in a state of emergency, I do think, Ed, that we have the right elixir, if you will. Like, it's all there. The pieces are there. The people just have to push One of the other stories we kept our eye on was the COVID crisis and its impact on the Black community. Blacks found themselves hit harder by COVID than most races. For some, these were just daily numbers. But I knew behind each statistic, there was a person and in many cases a family that had endured the loss of a loved one. Tiffany Jackson is one of those people. Her father, Benny Napoleon, was the sheriff of Wayne County, Michigan and a nationally known law enforcement officer. So Tiffany, let me first ask you about just how this pandemic has hit your family. Yes. I mean, you know, not only did you lose your dad, but we thought we, you were going to lose your uncle first. Yes, so my the pandemic has hit my family extremely hard. You know, my grandmother has five children. Of those five children, I think four of them um, were diagnosed with COVID-19 last year. Um, three of them, very severe symptoms. Um, my father, his older brother and his older sister, they had very severe symptoms. And the two um, siblings that are still here with us, they still have lasting effects from COVID-19, um, breathing issues, nerve damage, um, you know, mobility issues. There are just so many issues that they have, even though, you know, they've had COVID now almost a year it's been since they, you know, were initially diagnosed. So we were just hit very, very hard. And then my cousins, many of them, you know, they were diagnosed with COVID. Right before COVID got really, really bad here in Michigan, um, we had a family event and we think that's kind of how it spread throughout our family because the majority of us were there I personally was not, but um, the majority of them were there. And, you know, then COVID just ran through our family really, really bad. How did you look at COVID before it touched your family? There are some people who've taken it very, very seriously from the beginning. And some people, frankly, until it touches them, say, ah, it's not that bad. Yeah. So even before COVID hit my family, I took it very seriously because I think my father truly understood just how serious COVID was from the very beginning. So from the very beginning, you know, he was really on me hard, like, you know, make sure you have food at home, make sure you have cleaning supplies at home, make sure, you know, you're wearing your mask, make sure you're staying six feet, make sure, you know, 
So he was on me every single day. So even if I wanted to be, you know, a little more lax about it, he was not letting up. So from the very beginning, we were taking it very serious. And my son is asthmatic. So, you know, I was extra cautious about him because, you know, people with pre-existing conditions and especially conditions that involve the lungs, it typically is very, very vicious um, on them. Those fighting the battle to defeat COVID weren't immune either. Dr. Chris Purnell became a familiar face in the media as she became a frequent guest on shows during the height of the pandemic. Her family would also be ravaged by COVID. What struck me so uh, about your story, and there were a number of people out there in your position, um, but there was a personal aspect to your story that I found intriguing. You mentioned that you lost your dad and, and um, your, your sister is a long-termer, as we call it, and now you've lost two other cousins. Um, give me a sense of what this is, has done for you. It's, it, I feel for those who are truly on the front line because I'm, I'm sure there are days that it just is overwhelming. No, definitely. I, I tell people, you know, back in March and April, um, the epicenter of the pandemic was very much New York and New Jersey, right? Um, but the epicenter personally landed on me. <laughs> um, it was inescapable. Um, I lost my father at a time where we, ooh, we knew comparatively less than what we know now. Um, it was almost the fog of war. Um, my dad died in a hospital a mere four miles away from the hospital where I work. And I don't do direct patient care, but I do population-based care. So I'm looking at groups of clinical populations and how do, how do we keep them healthy, very interactive with the community before the pandemic struck. But I can tell you in our hospital, nearly every hospital bed was filled with a black or brown person. Um, I can tell you we lost staff at our hospital. Um, a lot of our frontline workers were black or brown who, whose lives were lost. Um, and so with all of that, you didn't have time to grieve. There wasn't space to grieve. You had to keep moving mm -hmm. because you had to help an organization stay afloat. Um, you had to help patients and families stay afloat. And you and your family had to find a way to stay afloat, right? So it was a very surreal time. Um, you know, we had always imagined my father, his father, um, the late uh, Apostle Bishop John W. Purnell, built churches all throughout the South. We always imagined we would take my dad. He had written out his funeral. He's going to go back to his father's church in Richmond, Virginia, um, and he's going to have this this you know, very beautiful and, and, and lovely service, but we couldn't do any of that. And that's where he's talking about, we're just beginning to grieve as a nation. Um, families couldn't do that, but we didn't even do that as a nation. And so I think people need to understand that this thing sticks with you. It sticks with you far longer than the acute phase or the acute shock of losing a loved one because you've never properly had the closure that you otherwise would have been able to. And then with my sister, you know, she's a long hauler. And, you know, studies have shown out of China, 75% of people hospitalized are left with some long-term um, side effect or some long-term health condition. My sister is progressively better, but she hasn't got, gone back to work. It's 10 months. And um, I want people to understand that sense of you, you got to be willing to fight every day to, to get back to a baseline. And then to think my family has experienced enough I lose two cousins right before the new year. One who was a postal worker in Newark, New Jersey, um, got sick um, not too long before Thanksgiving and had a catastrophic stroke as a result of the coronavirus infection and was gone. 
Um, and another cousin who got sick, was hospitalized in ICU, thought mm, maybe he'll stabilize, but then was gone. And so you can't let your guard down. You can't let your guard down because families have been bit and stung usually more than once. Our interview took place at the beginning of 2021, and Dr. Purnell warned anyone who would listen the importance of getting the vaccine. She now seems like a fortune teller, as she issued a warning to those who were choosing to forego the vaccination and an explanation of why the shot was worth it as variants began to creep up. If the choice were not to be vaccinated um, versus to be vaccinated against a variant that you don't know whether the vaccine will be as effective as it has been against, let's say, what the, va- what the baseline um, coronavirus has been, then I think that's still a choice you want to make in the direction of vaccination. Because what we do know about the UK variant is that preliminary studies, and we don't do enough of this in the US, we have to do more surveillance, we have to do more genomic sequence- sequencing of those who have coronavirus infections. What we know about that UK variant is that it is more infectious, so it transmits more easily. Um, There was some data that came out over the weekend um, suggestive that it could could potentially be more deadly. I can't say that conclusively yet. Um, The South South African variant, um, both the South African variant and the UK variant, uh, Moderna and Pfizer have begun to test in small numbers, but Moderna and Pfizer have begun to test if their vaccines are as effective. I can't tell you today that their vaccines are 95% effective, but I can tell you it confers a level of immunity. So if you as a lay person in the public were thinking, do I go it totally alone with no vaccine, know that you could potentially be exposed to a variant that is definitely more easily transmitted and questionably maybe more lethal mm-hmm. um, versus having access to a vaccine that is um, 95% effective or 94.1% uh, effective at preventing baseline coronavirus infections and some um, some measure of that level of effectiveness of prevent, uh, preventing coronavirus infections and illness with these more serious vi- uh, variants. That's how people have to consider it. To a great degree. I mean, it really is about being as smart as you can be, right? I yes. mean, isn't that the bottom line for, for lay people? Yes. It's, 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 you know, (laughs) it's being as smart and vigilant as you can be. I'm going to use that word again, because I don't want people to relax. The the vaccines, um, a a lot of public health physicians will say this, vaccines don't save lives, vaccinations do, right? So it's an actual dose administered that saves someone's life. But even more so beyond that, we got to make sure we continue with the universal masking. We have to make sure we continue with physical distancing, and we have to make sure we continue with the frequent hand washing, because those are the measures in addition to being vaccinated that are going to give us the greatest level of protection. And I want people to understand that that's a level of smarts I'm talking about. That's the level of vigilance. I don't want people to take any level of unnecessary risk. Great advice then and great advice now as this nation is dealing with the Delta variant that has become increasingly troublesome for the unvaccinated public. COVID is still very real and deadly for some. Let's be smart and remain careful and vigilant. 
These were just some of the intriguing and informative people we spoke to in season one. But it wasn't just hard news we followed. We talked to those in the world of entertainment, too. We talked with some of your favorite entertainers, from R&B superstars to celebs from the big screen. Next week, we'll share some of our favorite conversations with them. One Hundred is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit NFL.com slash schedule release to learn more. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today.